Welcome to another episode of Life Stories by Congo Kid, where I share my experiences of growing up in the Democratic Republic of Congo in Central Africa. My hope is you find knowledge, entertainment, information, and insight of another culture and a new perspective of the Congolese people and Africa. Ebola, a word that invokes thoughts of death, gruesome death. Ebola. It causes hemorrhagic fever. This virus flares up here and there, mainly on the African continent. Then after a run of a few months or maybe a year, it dissipates and runs its course. There have been 23 major outbreaks since 1976, and most have been in Africa. A handful of cases have been in Europe or America. But for all intents and purposes, Ebola has been a Central and Western Africa proposition. To the credit of various countries in Africa, each recent outbreak has resulted in faster response, quicker quarantine, and better containment. Medical protocols have decreased the death rate dramatically, and a vaccine has even been made, a huge stride to control this evil virus. The Ebola virus is wicked. Once it seizes its host, the organs begin to fail, the body shuts down, and then it gets nasty. The body tissues and organs turn into liquid. I'll stop there, as if I describe the true visual, it would completely gross you out. Think of setting a bowl of jello in the sun at a summer picnic and watching it melt. Pretty gross when you think about it. It's an awful way to die. One of the first major outbreaks in recent history happened in 1976 near Bumba, Democratic Republic of Congo, in the northwest corner of the country. The Ebola River is a tributary that feeds into the Congo River. Hence the name of the virus, Zaire Ebola, or simply Ebola. I lived in Karawa, about 75 miles away from the Ebola River, when I was attending a missionary boarding school when that outbreak occurred. I was in eighth grade at the time when reports came in that an entire village of about 200 people had mysteriously died. Boom, just like that, wiped out in a matter of days. Then they'd, they'd get sick, weak, and die all very quickly. Families and entire communities wiped out. It was nearly 100% fatal. As I remember it, there was a theory about what was the cause. They called it green monkey fever. The premise was that the villagers would hunt and kill monkeys to eat. Then, as the monkey's dead body cooled, fleas, lice, and other parasites living on the monkey would jump to the human that had shot it as they were field dressing it to put into their dinner stew. Monkey stew is fantastic, by the way. The fleas or lice had a disease that caused hemorrhagic fever and would bite the human and pass it on. CDC heard about it and came out to our area. A team of doctors and nurses went to the village near the Ebola River to try to figure out the source of the disease and identify it. The road to a cure or vaccine has been long and hard, with only occasional outbreaks and the challenge of this most formidable virus to conquer. Progress has been slow in this regard huge research and development costs for a relatively small, quote, market, unquote, make it hard for pharmaceutical companies to invest in the effort. A breakthrough occurred in 2004, and in 2019, the U.S. approved the first Zaire Ebola vaccine. Current mortality rates are between 83 and 90 percent combined for all the outbreaks. 
However, each outbreak that occurs has a lower mortality rate as time has progressed and new therapies are developed. The new vaccine will be implemented the next time Zaire Ebola rears its head. Hopefully it will be successful and another disease will have been conquered. Dr. Tom Karens was involved in helping the CDC during that 1976 outbreak and was later tested for the Ebola antibodies. Strangely, he tested positive while everyone else tested negative. Hmm, so how did he get the antibodies in his blood system? Had he contracted Ebola and didn't even know it? Well, I've known Dr. Tom since 1970. I went to school with his kids and he worked alongside with my parents in D Democratic Republic of Congo for many years. He and I also were on a relief team in 1994 in Goma Zaire, working in refugee camps after the Rwanda genocide. So he and I do have some history together. I've asked Dr. Tom to share his story of finding, contracting, and living against the Ebola virus. I'm here with Dr. Tom Karens. Dr. Tom, thanks for joining. Glad to be here. Doctor, why don't you tell us a little bit about what took you to Africa? Why were you there? We were there as missionaries. I was a physician and uh, ever since I was young, I had wanted to be a doctor, but then I, was kept meet, I kept meeting many, many missionaries and feeling that God was calling me to be a missionary as well. And it was probably in my high school years that I realized, hey, you could be both a missionary and a doctor. And so I proceeded through my training, went on to medical school at the University of Minnesota, and then uh, wound up going to Congo in 19, we left in 1969 to go to Belgium, spent a year there uh, learning French and then studying tropical medicine, and then on to Congo in 1970. Okay. I think that's when we actually first met because my parents were in Belgium as well. And that's I remember right. your two little kids, uh, toddlers at the time, if I recall. So yep. how many total years were you in Africa serving at the hospital? 19 years. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So this subject of today's episode is the Ebola virus. And mm -hmm. I'd love to hear from your perspective uh, what your involvement was and what you remember from that incident back in 1976. In 1976, there was a big outbreak of an unknown disease at a little um, health center dispensary called Yambuku, which was in north central Congo or Zaire. Yambuku was a Catholic mission. There were sisters there who were taking care of patients and somebody started the epidemic and there are, there's pretty good evidence of how, but it spread because they were using needles and syringes over and over again. And at that time they didn't understand that, but it spread and many more people came down with it and started moving through the area. CDC and the World Health Organization were invited by the Congo government to come and help figure it out. And over a period of time, uh, they did isolate the virus. They named it Ebola after the river that goes through there, uh, right past Yambuku. And so it was called Ebola and has been known as that ever since. At that time, 
they were interested in what's going on. Where did this come from? Has this ever been around before? So after the epidemic was resolved and people, everything was settled down, uh, they went around and did serum surveys, that is drawing blood from many people just to see if they'd ever been exposed to that particular virus before. And there were a number of Africans who were found to have been exposed. They also did it on about 50 of the expatriates, missionaries, businessmen, Europeans, Americans, this sort of thing. And among those 50, 49 were negative, but one was very positive, and that was me. Then they went back and started asking questions. How did this come about? Turns out in 1972, which was four years earlier, I had been acutely ill. The story on that is a man had come from a northern part of Congo and had fallen ill and was brought to the hospital after he died. They brought him because they wanted an autopsy on him. They were afraid that there was perhaps some foul play, somebody had killed him. They wanted to know if it was murder or what, uh, related to tribalism because he came from a totally different tribal area. We did the autopsy not knowing what was going on. And two weeks later, I came down with an acute illness after having done that autopsy. I remember we were riding out to the little lake where, uh, Jeff, you'll remember, we had a, a lake spot, a vacation area, and we'd gone for a long weekend and came back uh, from Lake Quada. And I was laying in the back of the, the Peugeot 404, and I was getting so sick. Got back home finally, and I went to bed, and I, I became so ill over the next weeks, I had no recollection of a lot of that time. Severe aching and high fever and headache and rash that developed and numerous other symptoms. And subsequently, through only God's grace, because we don't know of any other way that it could have happened, I was a survivor. I did come out of it and, and survived it. And so, in retrospect, that serum positive that I had in 1976 apparently came about because of that exposure to that disease, and we hadn't even known what Ebola was. I was going to say, I remember you being extremely sick, and I remember the prayer requests coming across the radio, right. and they didn't think you were going to make it. That's right. And the story I recall, I was only 13 at the time, 14 at the time, was that you'd pricked your finger doing an autopsy, which yep. uh, is exactly what, uh, what did happen based on your report just now. And right. we thought we were going to lose you. We thought yep. you were going to be goner. But yep. how, did you, how did you recover and what was that process like? Well, you know, not knowing what it was, they did the few lab tests there that we could do. And they basically were negative for the usual bacterial infections and so forth. But nonetheless, they tried a few antibiotics. They gave me IVs. But of course, it was all supportive type care. There was no, no way we could treat something when we didn't even know what it was. Uh, we didn't know a specific treatment to use. And to this day, there isn't one. So uh, basically, it was through the grace of God that I survived it. 
And the other amazing thing is that my wife, who actually was sharing our bed with me, and children and others around didn't get it. Again, a, a true gift of God that no one else came down with it. Yeah, what's really interesting is somehow you were exposed to it through that autopsy on that strange uh, passing of that man. And yet right. for four months or four years, excuse me, it sat dormant apparently. And then in 1976, it sort of reared its head. I've done some studies and I've read a lot of books many years ago on viruses and how they're transmitted and, and especially on the Ebola. And it's just a very, very strange disease. There's been about 23 outbreaks of major substance since 1976, primarily right. in Africa. They don't really know what starts it. They think that somebody cut their hand in a bat cave where there was bat guano and other mm -hmm. times they think maybe it's just underneath some leaves in the forest and other times people think that it's from a monkey. We thought at the time we called it, I think, green monkey fever is what we thought it was at the time right. where parasites and fleas were jumping off of dead monkeys that were shot for food and jumping onto the human host and then transmitting it. That was the theory that I remember as a 14-year-old kid. Right. So I don't know if, if that tracks with your recollection. Yeah, it does. Because you see, at the, across Africa in that era, there were two other severe viral illnesses we were aware of. One was Lassa fever, which existed mostly in West Africa. And we actually did blood work and sent it off to a reference lab and eventually got a result long after I was cured that said, no, it wasn't Lassa. The other one was Marburg disease. And that was actually a monkey disease, a so-called green monkey thing, which was a lab disease in Marburg, Germany, where they were keeping green monkeys. And so it was called green monkey disease because these monkeys had come from Central Africa. Again, that one turned out it was not that either. So it was really a, a new virus, a novel virus, as we would say it. So your help with the World Health Organization and CDC back in the 70s, and did you contribute blood serum and did they do tests on you to help try to figure out how to solve uh, the mystery? Because at yeah, the time, you were one of the few non-African survivors uh, of right. the disease at the time. So you were kind of famous, actually. Actually, I was probably the first non-African survivor of it. Um, it's a retrospective diagnosis, of course. But yes, the CDC became very interested once they found out that they had a survivor. It was medical, so they were able to do some, some testing and so forth pretty easily there through our lab and then with specimens they took back to CDC in Atlanta. And this went on in a series of visits that where they came to us they would spend two weeks or at least a week with us and during that time they would be doing various kinds of research like capturing many kinds of animals they would hire hunters to go out and shoot animals and bring them back and uh, they would bleed them and and take specimens to take back to the the lab in atlanta so this happened repeatedly over the course of probably five years they also asked me to donate units of blood, and I did that on several occasions, uh, mostly when I was back in the U.S. for various reasons, furlough and so forth. And I did that, and it did, we did it two or maybe three times. And then by the third time, they told me, well, your antibody level is drifting down so far now that we don't think it'll be worth much anymore, so we don't need to draw any more blood from you. 
but they supposedly kept that blood in some freezer there at CDC in case one of their lab techs or lab personnel was, you know, stuck his finger or was exposed and got it. They could use the blood then theoretically for the antibodies to uh, treat that patient. I have actually been at CDC as recently as uh, six months ago. The man in charge of such things really doesn't have any record right now of whether it was actually used or not, or if it's still in the freezer. Uh, he, he wasn't even sure. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. About three or four years ago, there was an outbreak in Western Africa. My understanding is that being one of the few people who survived it, especially many, many years ago, you'd been asked to be on some TVs and just to make some commentary. So how was that uh, few minutes of uh, fame affect you? And how many times did you get to get on TV and give your story? Because it's a great story of how you survived yeah. back in the 70s. Probably 15 or 20 times I was on either TV or radio interviews over the course of a week or so. Finally, it got to the point where it was just too much. And I could see that the motivation was more sensationalism than it was actual news. And I encouraged them, go out and get news. Um, I'm kind of old news. <laughs> so uh, we left it at that. And I, I refused any more interviews. Interesting. Well, that's great that you were able to survive. And I, I remember praying in earnest, as, as everybody else did at the time, for your life, because uh, we didn't think you were going to make it. Yeah. And uh, I believe it was truly a miracle. Fortunately, you were able to continue on your work, uh, which you did mm -hmm. quite a bit out in Africa for so many different people. I think you delivered my little brother, if I recall, in 1972. Uh, that true, yeah. 1972 true. when he was born, uh, when, we were yeah. at, when you were at yeah. Tandala. So our families are intertwined in many ways. And then you and I did spend some time in Rwanda in 1994 mm -hmm. on a relief uh, team for mm -hmm. two or three weeks, uh, helping out in the refugee camps with that. So yes. thanks again so much, Dr. Tom, for coming on. Uh, great story. Awesome to hear about how you were so useful in Africa, doing so many different medical procedures, how right out of the start of your career out there, you had a very, very close scare with Ebola. I'm not sure if you've heard, but in 2019, I think in December, the U.S. actually approved a vaccine. So there is uh, continued progress to be made against Ebola, and right. hopefully they'll be able to conquer that disease. But again, uh, my guest here, Dr. Tom Cairns, is a survivor of Ebola, one of the few, especially in the beginning when the therapies and the protocols were not quite as, as good as they are today. So thanks so much for coming on. Sure enough. Thanks, Jeff. So that was Dr. Tom Cairns, one of the first non-Africans to have contracted Ebola and actually lived. Amazing how at the time nobody knew what it was, and even more amazing, there wasn't an outbreak in 1972. Fortunately, progress is being made against the Zaire Ebola, and the promises we can expect from the vaccine is great news for the continent of Africa against this disease. Thanks to the scientists and pharmacists and their long slog to find a vaccine. Let's hope it works and we can eradicate Ebola from the earth. So that's it for this episode. I hope you enjoyed it and will join me again. Other episodes and blog articles on a variety of topics can be found at congokid.net. In addition, Life Stories by Congo Kid Podcasts can be found on Apple iTunes, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. I'm Jeff Eels, a.k.a. Congo Kid, your humble host. Until next time, 
I send you off with a farewell in Lingala. Baninganangai, tikalamalamu. My friends, stay well. Hey, Malumuna. Hey, Malumuna.